If you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, I'm taking a break from my normal series. I will finish Revelation over the coming weeks and months, so uh, hang in there with me. Uh, 2 Timothy is where we find ourselves this morning. I was going through my... Uh, a lot of people have given me things over the years, and I've been going through my office, and I came across uh, uh, this neat little book. Uh, it's a little book. It's got little comics. And the name of the book is... Fishing Dirty Tricks, 50 Ways to Lie and Cheat Your Way to a Really Big Fish. <laughs> That's kind of insulting. That's kind of insulting. But I'll receive it as it was given <laughs> in love. Amen. Okay. Um, Second Timothy. Stories told about a husband who was having trouble with his wife, and the reason he was having trouble with his wife is because his mother-in-law was living with him. There was a lot of tension, a lot of difficulties. And so one particular day, he was having a real problem. There was a lot of fighting going on in the house, so he just went for a walk, just blow off some steam, going to go for a walk, not going to say any more. So he got to the end of the, uh, the street, and there was a kind of a a traffic jam, and uh, there was a funeral procession. And in front of the funeral procession was a car with a man, a single man with a big dog. And behind uh, that car was two hearses with coffins in it. And behind those two hearses was a long line of cars following them, uh, and only single men were in, in the car. So he knocked on the door and said, what is this? And uh, the man who had the big dog sitting next to him said, well, uh, unfortunately, my, uh, this big dog kind of had a bad moment, and he killed my wife and her mother last weekend. And he kind of got a gleam in his eye, and he thought, uh, could I, and he said, could I borrow that dog for a weekend? <laughs> and the man uh, thumbed his head, thumbed his uh, Back thumb and says, get in line. <laughs> get in line. Uh, sometimes when we see something working, uh, we want to take part in it. And Paul, here in 1 Timothy, you were wondering how I was going to take that story and bring it back to the text. Paul, in, uh, in 2 Timothy, has got something working, and he wants to not only... Uh, experience it, but he wants to give it to Timothy. This is his final words to Timothy. He's, uh, he's seeing himself kind of passing on, and so he wanted to say something to Timothy. He wanted to give him some um, insight on how to do ministry, not only how to do ministry, but how to live a Christian life as he was uh, going on. Now, uh, this Timothy was a pastor, so there's some application there, but there's also application for us, isn't there? Um, now, as I said, I'm pausing in my series in Revelation, but um, I found in this book some values that I have found important over the years. And uh, I wanted to share them with you, but I didn't want to just share some mumble-jumble thoughts from various places, but I wanted to use the book of Second Timothy. Within its context, it fits perfectly with what we're doing here this morning. Now, don't look for deep exegesis, but I, I'm going to go through the book of uh, 2 Timothy, and I found 10 values that are important to me 
And I thought I would share them with you. And now since the church is going to roast me tonight, I figured I'll take my best shot at you this morning. (laughs) So we're going to move in really quick through the passage. Um, And I'll read the scriptures and then we'll we'll discuss. It's not real deep, so hang in there, guys. First one is uh, 1 Timothy uh, 1.8. And before I get to the scriptures... uh, I forgot to pray for my dear son Jonah. How could he? Got too many things going on here. There's Jonah. That's my, that's my um, middle son. Jonah is serving the Lord in, um, as long as it doesn't go on the internet, uh, Jonah is serving the Lord in Laos. And it's all about him. He's a sweet guy, neat guy. So let's pray for Jonah and also pray for the word. Father, I thank you for my dear son Jonah. What a what a blessing he's been to me and to this church and to many people both in uh, Australia, in um, India, Korea, and now Laos. Uh, You've used him for many years. Continue to bless him. Help him with his struggles with both his eyesight and his ear problem. May you heal and touch him. Give him many, many rich days, we pray. And... We thank you, Father, for Jonah. We also do pray for the word, what minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, back. Sorry to do that to you, Ronnie, but you were quick on the uptake, brother. Second uh, Timothy 1.8. Ten values that are worthy to consider. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoners, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. First value, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Like I said, there's not deep exegesis here. But as our world moves further and further away from the values that we know are true and right, what is going to happen is Christians are going to be marginalized. You're going to be seen as somewhat uh, uh, archaic, out of step with modern culture, uh, rednecked, uh, bigoted, uh, uh, not inclusive enough. That, the, all those phrases are going to be used as our culture moves further and further away from what we know is right and true. Unfortunately, what those outside the faith don't realize that it is Christianity, and it was Christianity, that rescued ancient cultures uh, from death and destruction and darkness The Judeo-Christian values are what made the Western world what it is today. Now, we're forsaking that, but if you ask yourself this question, why is a country like India and all those places in the East so messed up? Is it just their race? No, it has nothing to do with their race. It has to do with what they believe. Their ultimate realities. Hinduism Buddhism and Islam leads to death and destruction. That's the truth. I mean, it, you just, if, if that's the basis of what you believe, it'll lead you to the strangest, darkest places. And we see that worked out many times. And see, we seem to have forgotten that. We seem to have forgotten in our culture. Without a real revival in our country, standing for biblical truth will become a challenge. I'm telling you guys, it's going to become a challenge. 
Paul writes this because he was living in a culture that had gone berserko. If you read about the first century times, it was not the, the kind of world that we live in today. It was They had fully given themselves over to myths and theologies that were bizarro. And so he writes to the Christians, don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed. You stand up for the Lord and stand up for his servants. First value, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, even as we go south. Uh, verse, chapter one, verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which have been entrusted to you. Once again, guard through the Holy Spirit the treasure that's been entrusted to you. Now, that sounds good, but what does it mean? Okay, let's take it one step by step. What's the treasure? What's the treasure you have? The treasure you have is Jesus and the truth of the gospel. That's the treasure you've been given. And he says, guard that. Well, how do you guard it? He says, well, here, through the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? How do you guard the treasure, the truth of the gospel, by the Holy Spirit? Very simple, if you think about it. The Holy Spirit is the one, is the one who takes what you know and he prompts you, I want you to do this. I want you to speak to this person. I want you to be involved in this ministry. I want you to take this truth to that particular country. And when you, when you do that, when you yield to the Holy Spirit, you'll see incredible things happen. You'll see wonderful things, things that'll treasure, you'll treasure, it'll be so precious. And you see, just believing is a start. You believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you accept Christ, that's a start. But then you have to take it and be led by the Holy Spirit. And when you see those things happening, you know what happens? Oh, man, you love it. When the Lord uses you and you see somebody go from death to life or a situation that was bad that turned really, really good because the Lord used you, you know what happens? You say, I'm not letting go of this. I'm, hold, I'm, I'm, I'm guarding this treasure that I have. It becomes real in your life. Guard the treasure that you've been given by using the Holy Spirit. Listen to him. Let him lead you as he urges you to apply the scriptures in your life. Number three. Two, chapter two, verse one. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Once again, real easy. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ. Now, all of us are sinners, okay? All of us fall short. And the grace of God is that which renews us, restores us, energizes us when we have fallen short. When we have fallen short when we've kind of uh, just not made it, not did it right. And the grace of God is there to kind of rebuild you up and get you going again. See, the voice in you would say, uh, why don't you give up? You're, you're never going to make it. After you said what you said to your wife, you want to come to church? Get out of here. Forget it. You're a loser. You're probably not even a real Christian. See, that's the inner voice. That's the, the guilt and the shame you feel. But the grace of God says, no, no. It lifts you up and builds you. 
And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive you your sins. The grace of God is there for you when you fall short. Now notice it says, uh, therefore, my son, be strong in sloppy living. It's not talking about sloppy living. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the grace that builds you up. You see, legalism and performance-based relationships, you know what that does to people when they fail? When they fall short, and you will fail, and you will fall short. You know what it does? I'm not good enough. I give up. I'm just going to give up. That's what legalism and performance-based Christianity is based on. A couple of weeks ago, I was out loading my car with some stuff, and a lady walked by who used to come to our church. She doesn't come anymore. She got saved here. She got saved here. And she was walking by, and I got to talking to her. And got to, What happened? Well, it seemed when she was a brand-new Christian, she was working in the nursery or somewhere, and, and it became known that she's, she's a smoker. She's still struggling with smoking. And somebody said something to her about, well, you know, I mean, you're a Christian and you still smoke. And uh, being a young believer, she was hurt and she, she never came back again. And I told her, I asked her forgiveness for doing that to her. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I prayed for her and uh, encouraged her. She had some other uh, issues. She had a hip replacement or something, so I prayed for her. Uh, and then I told her she's always welcome here at our church. She's always welcome here at the church. And then um, as I was walking away, gave her a big hug and walking away, she says, oh, and Pastor Neil, I don't, I don't smoke anymore. And I said, well, then you're welcome at our church. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I said, you're always welcome. Now, let me ask you a question. Who made you, who made me judge and jury over things like that in your people's lives? Let me ask you the question. How about, you know what the problem is? We give grace to ourselves, but oftentimes we don't do that to others, do we? Sometimes, well, you call yourself a Christian, you're probably not. Come on, my friends. Be strong in the grace, both for yourself and for others. For others. That's what Calvary Chapel is about. That's what Pastor Chuck was about. That's the, that's the standard he set, and that's the standard we have at this church. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Verse 2 of chapter 2. The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Once again, find and instruct others who are faithful and are able to teach others. What I have seen over the years, the best people that you can invest your time in are people who just naturally are drawn to you and, and want to be involved with what you're doing. You Listen, you can't make anybody spiritual. They've got to have a want to. They have to want it. They have to... They have to see in your life as you obey God's word and as you live it and as you show the love that you have for Jesus and the love of those people will naturally just begin to come to you. And that's the people that you want to invest time in. 
You can't make anybody spiritual. Nobody bends, bent my arm to get in the ministry. Nobody bent my arm to become a Christian. I saw how dark my life was without Christ, and I drew, drew near to him. And that's the same for you. Find those people who are kind of coming. Hey, they show some interest. And invest the time in those people, and then tell them to go find Others like that. Okay. Verse 13. Number five. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he himself cannot deny himself. Um, God is faithful, and his faithfulness is not altered by our faithlessness. Can I repeat that again? His faithfulness is not altered by our faithlessness. So when you kind of blow it and you're, you don't have any faith, God is not, oh, my heavens, what am I going to do? He's going to be faithful. He's not shook up about when we kind of blow it. <laughs> He's faithful. What is he faithful to? He's faithful to his word. His word. Because his word is an expression of his character. Okay? So he'd be faithful. Now, the Bible does say, the Bible does say, those whom he loves, he chastens or disciplines. Now, see, that, that goes back up to the whole number three, be strong in the grace. You say, well, if you really preach grace, Neil, I mean, it leads to sloppy, agape living. You know, that kind of, do whatever you want and ask the Lord to forgive you later on. Really? Okay, well, I guess you could take that application, but don't you forget, he is faithful. <laughs> and I'll tell you what he's most faithful in, those whom he loves, and he loves you. Guess what he'll do when you're sloppy? He will discipline you. He'll give you his grace. It's there. But whom he loves. So always remember, God is faithful. And that's good because when you're walking with him, he blesses. Amen? Isn't that true? Oh, yes, he blesses us. But he's faithful. And he will hold true to his word. And that includes both blessing and discipline because he really does love you. And he doesn't want you to suffer. Okay, the Lord always remains faithful. Number six, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved by God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, Timothy was a pastor, so he's telling him, you gotta be, you know, in the word. Um, but it does have application for us, doesn't it? Now, there are some traditions that hold the teaching of the church fathers almost parallel with the scriptures. Okay, there are those traditions. There's other traditions that don't see the word of God really as fully the word of God. However, here at Calvary Chapel, evangelical Bible believers, we should know God's word, shouldn't we? I mean, in every situation, be in season and out of season. So if you're in situation A, you should be able to say, well, you know, the Bible says, you know, turn, you know, we should be able to handle accurately the word of God. That's, that's part of who we are. Now, here at Calvary Chapel, uh, we encourage you 
to read your Bible. Remember, we handed out that sheet, read your Bible, get through the Bible once a year. Maybe do it once every two years, but be continually reading through the Bible. Why do we go through books of the Bible here? Why don't we do sermonettes for Christianettes? We don't do that. Because we want you to know the Bible. We want you to be able to accurately handle the word of God. That's what we do. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe be involved in a home fellowship. Now, the home fellowships, the way they're set up, we have teaching here on Sunday morning, and then in a home fellowship, you get to talk about the, almost the same subject, either in that particular passage or a parallel passage that relates to what was taught on Sunday morning, so that you can kind of meditate and work it over and talk about it and get a fuller understanding of what the passage is about. So if you're not in a home fellowship, uh, talk to Rob, talk to me. We'll get you plugged in. Let us know. It's a good thing to do. We also have the, the Billy Graham Call-In Center. And now why am I mentioning these? The reason is, if you have to explain something to someone, you first have to know it. So sometimes, like teaching a Sunday school class, it's a great way to know the Bible. Doing the call-in center, going to home fellowships, all those things. Um, now, over the years, I've talked about journaling. And I've talked about journaling. The importance of journaling is, not, it's not a diary, is you read the scriptures, and uh, then you begin to think about them, and think about them through writing. And you think, well, Lord, how does this apply to me? What does this mean to me? How is this? And then you have maybe a prayer or two about journaling. <laughs> and you allow the scriptures to speak to your hearts. Now, am I bragging? No, no I'm not. I'm telling you, my friends. And see, now... You can say, well, Pastor Neil's always talking about journaling, but I don't know if he does it all the time. These are not for you to read. These are very personal things. But it's my interaction with the scriptures. I read a passage, and then I thought, how does this passage apply to today? Ah, you'd be surprised as you think about it, as you write about it, as you pray about it, the incredible things that God will open up your mind, okay? Journaling. It's something very, it's very important to me, but I wanted to just bring it home because we need to accurately handle God's word. We need to accurately handle it. Be ready in season, out of season, okay? Uh, number seven, verse 22 now flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee youthful lusts. Now, he's not just talking about sex, okay? Because that's the way this passage oftentimes is interpreted. It can apply sex. Nor is he just picking on the young people. So young people, I'm not picking on you, okay? Uh, it's talking about immature people. And you can be immature when you're 17. You can also be immature when you're 50. Okay? What are youthful lusts? Well, I wrote them down. Sex, 
Money, fame, popularity, things, clothes, events, all those things. Those are things that they're, you know, immature people get involved in. Now, why does he write this? Because they don't fulfill. <laughs> oh, there's a, an immediate kind of, there's a little, little bump, but that's all it is. And then before you know it, you have to re- reinvest more energy in these things to keep getting bumped. There's no fulfillment. But did you notice the second half of the verse? Look, look at the second half of the verse. And flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Why does he write that? Because those are the things that bring life. Remember what Jesus promised? I came that they might have life. Real life, a fulfilling life, something that makes sense, something that you can be proud of, something that your kids won't be ashamed of. Righteousness, faith, love, peace. Okay. Verses 24 and 25, same chapter, chapter 2. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And he didn't include this scripture, but verse 26 says they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Hmm. Now, there are lots of people who need correcting. Amen? (laughs) At work, at school, in your neighborhood, in your family, uh, in this church. <laughs> That's not the issue, okay? You can find lots of people who need correcting. That's not the issue. What's the issue? How do you do it? That's the issue, my friends. A lot of people need correcting. How do we do it? How do we do it? Notice what he says. He says, verse 26, that they may come to their senses. I thought about that. Come to their senses. Do you remember a story about a man who came to his senses? Do you remember it? The prodigal? Do you remember? And it said, as he was thinking about eating pig food, that's a Hebrew guy, he's thinking about eating pig food. I don't know if you've ever been around pigs, but their trough, their feeding trough is not pleasant. And suddenly it said, and he came to his senses. Ah. How did he come to his senses? Was his father yelling at him, you dirty rat, you spent all my money on prostitutes and drinking. I can't believe you. You call yourself my son, you dirtbag. Is that what he was doing? No, no. The father was sitting on the porch, praying. And what did he do when he came back? He gave him The G word, grace. Oftentimes, oftentimes the problem is, here's how we we correct people. (laughs) After you said that to me, I can't believe it. You're back in church. What? After you said what you did or what you did, Come on! And we find ourselves yelling at them and rebuking them. But that's not what the passage says, is it? 
do we need to read it again maybe? Look what it says here. Must not be quarrelsome. Hmm? No yelling and screaming. No telling them that they're going to hell. Be kind. What? Well, they're in, it says in verse 26, they're, they're in the snare of the devil. Be kind to them. Able to teach, able to handle the scriptures. Patient, went wrong. When people are in the snare of the devil, guess what they'll do to you? They'll wrong you. Patient, went wronged. Oh, my heavens. With gentleness, correcting them. Gentleness. Gentleness. A couple of years ago, we had a fellow start attending our church who was struggling with same-sex attraction. And it was pretty obvious he was. Get the picture. And somebody went up to him outside on the patio and told him, you're going to hell unless you repent. We never saw him again. Never saw him again. Now, I'm not, you, know, you know where I stand on that issue. You know, the Bible says it's, it's sin. But you know, oftentimes what the problem is? Our ego gets in the way. It's our ego. We want to fix them, or we don't like what they're doing. And so rather than speaking with gentleness and kindness and giving them some grace, even when they're in sin, we're quick to tell them, oh, you're not a real Christian, or you're going to hell. My friends, my friends. We don't do that. We don't do that. We love them. And we show them by our words and our action what it means to be a Christian. Correcting those in opposition with gentleness and grace. Okay, chapter 3, verse 16. I told you I was going to roast you guys. I told you, you didn't believe me, but I'm going to. 316, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Honor God's word as it is. Now, I have spoken about this so many times, so I won't go on and on. But miss this one, guys. Miss this one, and you're going to end up in darkness, spiritual darkness. Just fudge on one issue, on the truthfulness or the inspiration of the scriptures, just one issue that bothers you, and say, ah, that, that can't be right. And it's like a hole in a dike. And it'll just get bigger and bigger. Before you know it, you're lost in a flood. This is the one, guys. This is a prophecy I'm making. They're going to push us on this one, guys. They're going to tell us, because of evolution and science and same-sex attraction, that the Bible is wrong. They're going to tell it to you. They're going to want you to give that up. I'm telling you, they're going to come after us big time. You believe the Bible? What? My, my heaven, what kind of Neanderthal are you? <laughs> it's coming down the track. They're going to get us. They're going to try and get And you and we need to hold to the inerrancy and the inspiration of Scripture tenacity. 
with tenacity, guys. You give up on this one, just a little fudge. Oh, Paul didn't write Ephesians, or this can't be true. He, how could he say this about women? My friends. Now, here's what happens. This is what happens. Reading church history. The first generation that begins to fudge on this, most of those people do have a, a warm, loving relationship with Jesus. But they begin to fudge on the inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture. And they live fairly good Christian life. That's not the problem. First generation is not the problem. Second and third generation, they're apostates. They're apostates. They, they give up on the Bible. They don't even believe the Bible anymore. Watch it, my friends, in your life, in your family's life, in the life of the church. Honor God's word. It is an errant and inspired Period. Period. Finally, verse uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead by his appearance in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Preach the word. What else have we got to say? I mean, it's the, it's the gospel that saves people. You, you can preach, it's nice to be nice all day long, but it, does, it doesn't change lives. What changes life? The Bible and what it says and the gospel, that's what changes life. The death and resurrection of Christ and the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, that's what changes life. You got nothing else to say. If you haven't got that to say, preach the word, share the word. It's the word of God that turns people around. I was listening to an old Jesus, Jesus people recording, uh, Love Song. Remember Love Song years ago, going all the way back to the 60s? One of their songs says this. It says, I know I'm kind of losing some of you. Uh, it says, uh, with one hand, reach out to Jesus. And with the other, bring a friend. So good. I can't believe those guys. Just brand new Christians. They had that. With one hand, reach out to Jesus. That's what he's what I've been talking about. Reach out to Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. Honor his word. Speak with kindness to those who need instruction. Reach out to Jesus. And then with another, bring a friend. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what the gospel. It's all about. Okay. Um, as I'm uh, retiring, I came, uh, I began to see that uh, my body's begin to got, get out of shape. So I got my doctor's permission to join a fitness club and start exercising. Decided to take an aerobics class for seniors. I bent twisted, gyrated, jumped up and down, perspired for an hour. But by the time I got my gym clothes, clothes on, the class was over. <laughs> That's silly. But it's, it's getting closer to the truth, amen? <laughs> amen. Okay. Uh, 
I got just two more minutes. Um, now, as your pastor, I want to talk to you about what I call the elephant in the room. You know what the elephant in the room is? It's something that everybody realizes or is thinking about, but nobody's talking about. And the elephant in the room, in this case, with this particular situation, is that I know some of you, or perhaps many of you, have really connected with who I am, my personality, my style, my teaching, and you really enjoy it. But you haven't made that connection yet with our new pastor, Rob. And so there's that tension. What are we going to do? I was talking to Nancy about this uh, on Sunday, last Sunday afternoon. And she says, well, you know, uh, me and my family, and we weren't married yet, are really connected with Pastor Jimmy. And our kids were the same age, and so they were, you know, and, and Jim's kids. And so there's a real connection between uh, Jimmy and, and my family. And she said, well, then he left, and we really enjoy Jimmy. He's kind of, you know, he's a different personality and just really funny guy. And we really liked his sermons and his stories. But then you came along, and it was like, <laughs> So she said, it's my wife now. <laughs> she said, uh, it's like, she said, but, but wait, wait, wait. Then she said, but as you began to teach, we began to see that you really did love God. And you were different from Jimmy. And we stayed and grew in the Lord. Another uh, saint was talking to one of our staff members. And she said, well, you know, and she's been around for a long time. She said, well, you know, it's, it's neat that Pastor Neil's retiring and Pastor Rob's here. She said, but I'm not really concerned about that because this is my church and I'm not leaving. Hmm. And so I want to speak to you as your pastor. This is your church. This is your church. I have a friend, Kevin Hayashida. His, his church, uh, he's sent out from a church up near, I think it's Long Beach. And they've had many senior pastors. He said, and I was talking to him about that whole issue, and he said, Neil, that church, my home church, just as slowly grown, and they've had a lot of pastors. And most of the people say, well, it's nice that Pastor John is gone and now Pastor Bill is here. But this is my church. This is my church. Now, Paul, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, talks about, in the Corinthian church, there were some that, well, I'm of Peter, and I'm of Apollos. And he says, that kind of spirit, you know what he said about that? He said, <laughs> he said when you have that kind of spirit, uh, you're walking as mere men. Do you know what he means by that? You're thinking like a mere man. Now, I'll be very honest with you. My whole ministry has been here to help you first to discover Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you have as a result of my ministry. And to grow in the knowledge of God's word and to bind you together with the body of Christ that's here at Calvary Chapel. That's what I've been trying to do. Not build a personality cult up for Pastor Neil. And so, 
uh, if I haven't done that, I would look at my ministry as having failed and not done you, your family, a service. (laughs) I told you I was going to roast you. I told you. And that's all I have to say. Pray with me, please. Father, we want to open up our hearts to you in this uh, Sunday. Uh, It's been a good run. I've so appreciated the grace that this congregation over the years has shown me. The love and support they've given me. Uh, Through the bumpy times in my own personal life, in our families, and yet they've stuck with me, so I'm so thankful for this wonderful church. Thank you for the word of God and I pray that, uh, that we, each one of us would listen carefully to what Paul had to say to Timothy as he was leaving him. He knew he was leaving. And so he gave him some good, solid advice. May we be careful to hear not just what Paul said to Timothy because that was true, but what the Spirit was saying through Paul to Timothy and what the Spirit is saying to us through these passages we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.